Hello listeners, this is Mike Solosi. Retro Encounter is only a few weeks away from episode 150, and we're planning to make it a mailbag episode in which we respond to as many listener emails as we can. So if you wanted to send us a discussion topic idea, a question about the podcast, or a suggestion for a game journal episode in the future, please send an email to retro at rpgfan.com before we record the episode in mid-August. We are 100% going to choose at least one future episode from listener suggestions, but first we need those emails. So again, the email address is retro at rpgfan.com. We'll respond to as many messages as we can in episode 150. But that's enough for me. Now here is the latest episode of Retro Encounter. And welcome to episode 147 of Retro Encounter. This is a special episode we have for you today. It's our RPG World Tour. And with me, I have Michael Solosi. Hello. Alana Higgs. Hey. And Leona McCallum. All right, mate. So thank you all for being here. Very excited to talk about RPG Worlds with you. So this is pretty exciting. It's been in the works for a while. Um... The idea is that we were thinking about settings in RPGs as something that's integral to a lot of them, something that we all kind of carry with us, think about, but doesn't quite get as much discussion as some other aspects of the games we like so much. So we went back and forth thinking of a good format and a good way to celebrate those settings, and we decided basically to make it a little bit of a game. So we are going to do a world tour and discuss some worlds that we really like, why they're interesting and or beautiful, why it might be cool to visit or live there, and maybe some comparisons between the worlds or with other games and why they stand out. Um, Each of our lovely panelists has selected two worlds to discuss, so we're going to do this round-robin style. And in addition to that, we also each selected a secret world. So, So we know ahead of time from this Google Doc, uh, what two of the worlds that each of us has selected, but then there's also a secret one that each of us is going to be a, that each of us chose that's going to be a surprise to the other panelists. So we, yes. we can't, uh, as panelists, we can't 100% <laughs> prepare the episodes, except for, <laughs> except for Hillary, who has everybody's secret world on some private document. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the secret spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> so that means I was able to kind of make sure I was familiarized with all of them, but... Should be fun. I think there are a good balance of retro and kind of ongoing settings, and some a lot, all of us will probably want to discuss a lot. So, without further delay, um, I'm going to start us off with a very familiar and probably expected choice, which is Final Fantasy VI. It's sort of split into the world of balance and the world of ruin because cataclysmic events change the world map in the course of the game. That is one of the reasons I chose it, but to go to why it's interesting and or cool, 
I want to start by saying just with the more some of the more discreet, unique features like burrowing Figaro Castle and the Opera House. <laughs> They're very memorable. Um, it was sort of like something very unexpected for me when I had only played a few RPGs and I got to my first castle. And, you know, I was expecting it to be more of your like standard fantasy castle. And it was you know this really cool mechanical contraption that not only could burrow and kind of pull itself together and go to an entirely different location, but the the king was actually using it to protect all of his uh, subjects and uh, with the empire. So yeah. that was pretty cool. Figaro's <laughs> crazy because it has two big reveal moments. One of them is right near the beginning of the game where they because uh, this is a castle in the middle of a desert that's a that's sort of very mechanical in nature. There's lots of tech and stuff in the castle, and and uh, the the king of the castle is an engineer. But like the castle, there's the big moment where to escape Kefka, it buries itself underground. And then there's another moment later on where you, you when you return to Figaro, it buries itself on the ground and then like tunnels to the, the continent to the northwest. So it's like, oh, I did, it's like I didn't know you get the oh, I didn't know I didn't know it could do that moment twice. Yes. How deep does it go? I mean, it must have been <laughs> to go under the ocean. Yeah, I, I always wonder that too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and here we are in the center of the planet. <laughs> yes. It's a marvel well, of it depends on whether it's a continental <laughs> shelf or an abyssal shelf. And also, that, you know, I'm not even going <laughs> oh, there. Boy. I'm not even going <laughs> there. Someone, someone's got their science back out. I, I was literally an environmental science major who studied some oceanography, yes. But uh, yeah. but uh, I think this is one of those many cases in which the less you think about it, the better. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It was, it, was, it was surprising and fun, basically, twice. Um, yeah, and same thing with the Opera House. I mean, that was a very lovely emotional scene there. And it was yet another setting that was a little bit more unfamiliar for the time. Yeah, um, it's also octopus friendly, so it's accessible <laughs> by octopi. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very well, very the, important. The, op- the opera house is octopus fr- uh, friendly, but the game is not because the game is <laughs> no. encouraging you to literally roast uh, the game's only octopus <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you get rewarded with little dialogue <laughs> boxes from him. And and you know um that one thing that I think is awesome about Final Fantasy VI and uh, I we I guess we Alana you and I talked about this on an episode about two years ago, um we had a, oh, a right. yeah we had we, we had did, a, yeah yeah we had a special FF six episode of the show, um I, at first when I was thinking of stuff to pick for this episode I was trying to think you know I don't know if I want to live in a world that has some kind of cataclysmic event that happens but then I was going through the list of RPG worlds and the large majority <laughs> of them have something like that so I. I <laughs> I ended up just I ended up throwing out that uh, condition basically, but uh, but but like um, Final Fantasy VI does one cool thing that um, you know many RPGs do, but this was maybe especially cool in 1994 or 1995, uh, is that the world state really changes, and after the cataclysmic event happens around the 40% mark or wherever, um, every, all, you can visit almost every place that you visited in the first half of the game, basically everywhere except Vector, I think, and uh, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's recontextualized. And sometimes the very nature of it's changed, and it, um, it, it, it I think makes each location in both halves of the world more memorable. It's awesome. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. There's sort of like a continuity there, and it's one of the things that I was going to mention um, as a reason I picked it is precisely that it is those same locations, just in a very unfamiliar context, which is cool because 
I think it allows you as the player to feel some of that disorientation that the characters are feeling at that moment because you're, you start with one character, you have to travel all over the place to build your party back up after that event happens. You don't know where anything is at first. You don't have your airship, which is annoying for a while. All of that because you know, you're used to the way things were. So I, I always thought that was pretty effective and neat. The public transport system in the world of Ruin is abysmal. Uh, that's true. <laughs> One out of five. Do not recommend. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the airship in the first half of the game better. Yeah, I, definitely. Was it buried underground, though, like the Blackjack was, or the second ship? <laughs> I'm sure Setzer pulls it out of under under a city, doesn't he? It's when he goes to his lover's... It's, 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 under, it's, it's, it's under a mausoleum outside, yes. of, outside of Collagen, I think. Yep, yep, Darl's tomb. Yep. That's it. Exactly. He's so extra. I love it. <laughs> I have so much time to set the. I do like the way that you travel around in the first half of the game because there are. You don't. You get your airship pretty early on. I think it's at the opera scene, isn't it? It's been a little while. Yeah, it's since it's, just, it's just it's uh-huh. just it's just after it. It's okay. Yeah, the whole point yeah. is to get the airship so you can travel to the southern continent. That's right. Yeah, and then like early game, you split off into groups, and then some of you are walking around the um, continent. But then I think another group goes down Serpent's Trench, and you end up traveling part way through the world through Serpent's Trench from like the bottom of the map to the top, or something like that. And I do just like the way that everything connects in the world of mm. balance. But the world of ruin really throws you off balance, and I remember being very lost for a while and thinking, I don't know where anything is, and just completely disorientated, like you all said. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which yeah, is the way it evolves is great. And yeah, I just... yeah, 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 most of the towns are there, but the geography and the layout of the continents is completely different. And the Serpent's Trench, which was a an ocean current and like a sort of mini water dungeon <laughs> in the first half of the game, is uh, is unearthed. So it's basically just a big land bridge going through the middle of the map in the World of Ruin. It's again everything's recontextualized, and it's a uh, it makes everything a little like cooler. <laughs> yeah, it does, and. It... <sighs> I think it adds to the theme in the second half of the game of rebuilding. Like once you can, you know, confront the final boss, there's there's the idea that even in this very disorienting new sort of place, like there's still a way to move forward. Mm. Which which is a reason I think I would would pick it as you know one of my interesting, beautiful worlds that might actually be a good place to visit at the end of the game. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the other thing I'd like to mention, at least, and this is a personal opinion, but I love how they used kind of all of those steampunk elements. I I really felt like they made sense. They didn't seem overly jarring. You kind of get the sense that the world is a place experimenting with this technology, trying to utilize forces that maybe they don't entirely understand with the espers. So I thought it all fit together really well. It's very quintessential Final Fantasy, sort of. The whole using magic to power your technology, but not quite understanding the full ramifications of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you look at sort of Final Fantasy, say, 3 through 8 as a continuum, they all had those steampunk elements and all had those magic technology elements, but from 3 to 8, it sort of went more uh, magic fantasy steampunk to sort of to sort of more technology fantasy steampunk, like, as you went forward. And um, Final Fantasy 6 is a pretty good sweet spot for how much tech yeah, and how much I'm... magic there is. Perfect for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. All right, so does anybody have anything to add about the world of balance and the world of ruin? Are we good to move on to our next world? 
I mean, I was curious about how you were going to sell me a holiday destination in the world of Rune. <laughs> I feel like you've done a good job. A few it's, it's like it, it's it's it wouldn't be like a beach vacation abroad. No, it, it, would, it would be it would be like a Habitat for Humanity volunteer work abroad. Yeah, and and, and you yeah. help rebuild South Figaro. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if if it gets burned down a hundred times, they'll rebuild it a hundred times. Yes. Yeah. Not not ne- maybe necessarily a relaxing place, but I I would visit Figaro and I would visit Narsh. It is very hard to find an RPG that isn't either in the constant state of war or undergoing some sort of apocalypse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Again, I I tried to find a just a peaceful place to live, and I don't know if there really is one. It's whether I, you choose to live in ignorance, though, isn't it? I guess so, yeah. It would be nice just being an NPC in a very idyllic town that only has mm-hmm. one or two things to think about the whole game. <laughs> and it's interesting because you don't get very many locations like that in the second half of FS6 just because disaster is so widespread. Like, nowhere is unaffected. Yeah, some pla- some towns are just, like, straight-up ghost towns, like uh, like Mar- Narsh and, to a lesser degree, Mobiliz. Auction house is still going strong, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next, we have Solosi's first choice, which is Unova from Pokemon Black and White. Right. Well, um, I, I, uh, one thing that appeals to me about sort of Pokemon's entire setting is that it's this, uh, it's a very unique, um, very sort of positive kind of world that has its economy and recreation and, uh, and entire infrastructure revolving around animal husbandry of some real cartoon weirdos. And <laughs> so it's just like, everything revolves around these Pokemon, and the Pokemon themselves that have been, you know, uh, designed by Nintendo's, like, Willy Wonka factory over the over 20-plus years is um, are, are just a really fascinating group, and it and and all of the Pokemon games sort of sell the player's connection to their Pokemon, and so like I think Pokemon appeals to people's collecting instincts and people's pet owning instincts and everything and things of that nature. So the, the so the Pokemon fantasy appeals to me, and also I think Unova is just the coolest of the Pokemon worlds because all of its cities feel very well realized. There's one that's just a big entertainment district, one that's sort of a big city, one that is a I think it's whether you're playing black or white is either a sort of like an ancient temple or a futuristic uh, metropolis, <laughs> depending. Oh, cool. yeah, one's, well, it's white forest and black city, depending on what. No, 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 I, 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 no. I mean the. Uh, oh, um, the, I know. The, yeah, the, the, the town that has the dragon gym in it. Yes, correct. It, yeah, it's either like an Angkor Wat style temple or like a like a shiny future city, depending. Uh, and, and it was a temple for me the first time because I played white first, but it was. Oh, uh, that's cool. But it has it, it like. Even among Pokemon games, Unova's towns and gyms feel very unique and cool, and it's my favorite Pokemon world. And, and also, I, I like a lot of the Pokemon of the fifth generation in general. So, like, it, it, um, I, I love the po- the Pokemon idea, and Unova's my favorite Pokemon world. So that's the one that I uh, suggested for the podcast. I think it's unfair that you chose Pokemon because who's gonna not want to live in Pokemon world, <laughs> right? <laughs> you cheated. <laughs> It's hey. an interesting choice, though, because you have two tropical worlds in the world. Well, not tropical, but you have the world of, um, oh my goodness, I can't Hawaii. Sun, uh, um, Sun, Aloha, Sun, Aloha. Sun, yeah. You have Alola in yeah. Pokemon Sun and Moon, but you also have Hoenn in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, which is largely water-based as well. So. Yeah, honestly, I was I was uh, choosing between Unova and, um, uh, shoot, the, the world of the, uh, 
the world of the fourth generation because I like the cold more than the warm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and the, and, I'm and with the, you there. Unova is basically temperate, but there's a lot of ice and snow in the fourth gen setting whose name escapes me. Yeah, Shino, that's it. Yeah. Um, Sino, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sino is cold and Unova seems uh, seems pretty metropolitan. There's even a resort town where you can go after you've beaten the game, you can talk to the Pokemon champion like hanging out with her girlfriends there. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. And uh, and also and also uh like I mean basically the the version uh the <laughs> the world of Pokemon's version of sporting events would be something like the Pokemon World Tournament which is only in Black 2 and White 2 which is probably my favorite part of those games. So I would <laughs> Yeah, I would uh I, I, again I think Unova is the most appealing Pokemon world and for a lot of reasons Pokemon worlds are cool. I think Unova's really interesting as well because obviously the layout of Unova's good because it's kind of it's very simple compared to a lot of worlds. So it's basically like a straight world down to a circle, isn't it? And then the middle part of Unova is like a round circle from uh, Castelia City, the big city in the middle that's yes. all three dimensional, and then you go clockwise from like half six or half past to whatever. Yeah, a, um, a lot of the Pokemon and, games have you travel in a cycle, but it's it's designed yeah. it's designed to be circular in Unova. And also there's the it's the only Pokemon world with an airport, which helps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah, and I was gonna say as well that Black and White Two adds an entirely new couple of towns to the uh, far left of the map that you have to that you start in rather than starting in wherever you begin in black and white. So you've got an entirely new section of um, mm-hmm. Unova to explore, which is really, really cool. And you see how over time Unova has evolved, which, I mean, it's a Pokemon game. It hasn't changed too much many of the cities, but there are kind of, it, it gets colder, especially later on in black and white too, but that's kind of uh, two underhanded tactics of uh, Team Plasma. So, Yeah. That's interesting. So you kind of, in terms of Pokemon worlds, you do kind of get to revisit and like see that progression over time. Yeah, and the ecosystem of Pokemon Black and White really interests me because you have wild ice cream cones and wild yes. candles. So <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's automatically one of the best ones. Gen Five's wow. always picked out as kind of uh, a bad yeah. gen, but we've had a debate over this and we've put it quite firmly near the top. We yeah, no, I, no we, we scientifically determined that uh, Gen Five is the second best Pokemon generation, <laughs> and I and I shall not Sorry, hear any it. arguments to the contrary. No. <laughs> no. I do love my wild ice cream cone that I had the whole game. My my favorite were the <laughs> um the cyborg mole and the kung fu weasel. Those are my. Oh those nice! Are my two. I, I love main Shao. Yeah. Main yeah. Shao, yeah. Yeah, Shao and Excadrill. Those those two carried me pretty well. <laughs> well, it's great. So it sounds like there are some like particularly fun Pokemon that you want to keep with you for yes I, I most think, of the game. I think the starters are maybe a little average in uh, Gen Five, but um but Te- Tepig and Oshawott are so undeniably cute. Oh my god. Why are you leaving it Snivy? Oh my god. I, I love Snivy. Snivy's, Snivy's my pick. Snivy's oh, cute, but I mean, look at Tepig. Just look at that happy little porker. Oh my god. <laughs> the shanky's rubbish. I don't like Tepig. He's no, like, I don't like I don't know. Either. This is a very Pokemon specific complaint, but I don't know why I don't know why they had 3 firefighting starters in a row with and oh. with each with each one getting slightly worse than the previous one. Yeah, Blaziken was. Yeah, yeah. Blaziken's amazing. Infernape is very good, and Embor is a disappointment. Yeah, Tepig is adorable. But but Tepig is adorable. Like like again, they're not my favorite group of starters, but the Unova starters are good. But I got, I'm definitely more interested in my mole and my weasel. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying nothing. And also, uh, and also, there is a Pokemon called Solosis in uh, in Gen Five, and and that, oh, yeah. and I'm, and I always found that uh, very, you know, specifically interesting to me. 
It's important to have that personal connection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. It's interesting that you picked a Pokemon world because, I mean, I, I don't know. You've probably heard this circulating around, but the idea of like, if you really think about it, the Pokemon worlds are kind of scary and brutal, and you have these cute animals fighting each other all the time. But yeah, you don't, like, you don't have to. <laughs> and the implications of like, what would a military conflict in the Pokemon world look like? And exactly. um, and the uh, ramifications of the death of Pokemon being weird because like, uh, like I mean, po- you don't really see Pokemon die, but then there's stuff like the Tower in Lavender Town, right? And uh, that always mm-hmm. creepy. So and, and and also, I mean, I think I've mentioned this in one of the Pokemon episodes, but I thought it was crazy that uh, Gary has a Rattata and a and a Raticate when you fight him, but then he it stops being a part of his party after you meet him in Lavender Town. Yeah, so so, so so somehow his his rat Pokemon died, <laughs> and that which is weird. And you, I definitely didn't think about it when I was playing Pokemon <laughs> at age twelve or thirteen. Right. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of weird implica- implications with that are hidden under the surface of these <laughs> of, of these Pokemon worlds. But I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll just want to you know go to and try to collect gym badges with my Kung Fu Weasel. I'll, I'll, I'm good. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next we have Alana with Arcadia from Skies of Arcadia. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there's two things in particular I love about Arcadia. They're both kind of interconnected. Um, in a kind of the first one, in a kind of generic RPG kind of way, the world is split up into six different regions. So Arcadia is basically in the sky. It's bunches of islands and landmarks all throughout the sky, and you don't travel through boats in water. You travel in airships that look really cool. Um, so these six nations are set under six different moons, all representing different elements. So you have the White Moon, which is life and death. The green moon, which is rejuvenation and life and plant life. The red moon, which is fire. The blue moon, which is wind and water. Uh, The purple moon, which is ice. And the yellow moon, which is electric. And each area has its own ecosystem, its own design. So, for instance, the red moon, uh, Nasrad, Nasir, is um, all desert-based. It's very Middle Eastern. It's all very barren. The cities are full of markets. There are people selling food and spices and things like that. They're all dressed very kind of heat appropriately i suppose uh, or you've got like the kingdom of uh Yafutoma, which is under the blue moon uh they're all asian the asian based uh very water-based their city in particular is really cool so it's basically a three-tier set of islands and there's a waterfall that travels all the way down all three islands and you use a little tugboat to travel around so there's a river that goes on through each island that you paddle around in and it helps you to get around each island quicker or you can go up elevators or go down the waterfall which spreads between the three islands where the water comes from specifically to the top island i have no idea some like magical cloud or anything but it's very cool um a robberist thing going on yeah exactly (laughs) um but i do like the way that it splits up um i also really like the way that it you travel around it so this shouldn't be a spoiler um, for people who haven't played it, but the you start off under the um, white or the silver moon, which is uh, beginning and end, um, and you end the game under the white moon, which is kind of it describes the cycle. So you start in the beginning and then you like you end it there basically. So that's the whole idea. All of the white spells or silver spells are life and death. So I just like the way that you transition. That's where you start, but that's also where you end. Um, the other thing I love is. Um, because you're a sky pirate, part of there's a huge side quest where you go around and you can find discoveries. 
And these discoveries help you um, kind of find out more about the world. It's world building and lore, and it's extremely fascinating to come across these landmarks and you get really nice short descriptions, but they give you like a snippet of Arcadia over time. So the one of the first ones you get is like Pirate's Grave, which is some very uh, like long ago, some pirate died there and he's left his mark. But there are really nice ones as well. Like there are some static, so something like uh, there's a bird's nest where the rock eggs, that's right, um, in the Ixataka area, which is the green moon, which is where most of the plant and animal life live. Um, He's left them there. The, the discoveries have such a wide variety. Like there's, a, <laughs> yeah, like there, it might be just a, a pretty waterfall in one, and a mm. flying ghost train that is encircling <laughs> the entire yeah. world. That's, that, that's just extra. flying. So it's a it. But uh, Alana is absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of diversity in Arcadia, and the discoveries that you're always poking around for sort of makes like like rewards exploration of this large world in a way that's really really fun. I'm it's it's one of the most beautiful fun world maps to f- just traverse that I in any RPG I've ever played. It Arcadia is amazing. Yeah, there's just something really satisfying about flying around and seeing the really pretty skyscapes and there is a real like sense of exploration because you're kind of revealing the map and discovering things and so mm-hmm. it it does feel like things are uncharted and it's not sort of a type of world where everything is pretty well known and mapped out and it's go to this location, talk to this person kind of thing. Exactly. And you do get one of the uh, discoveries. It's actually discovering that the world is round. So you fly there when you're in Yafatoma, which is to the far east, the, um, the part you're like, oh, how are we going to get back? Because you have to go through a really old, dangerous area called the Dark Rift, which is basically just a conglomeration of really thick, mist so areas are like split up between mists and rifts and things like that rather than like rock faces and things um and they're like we can't go through it again because that's really dangerous what's quicker oh no it's to the west yefotoma's to the west sorry and vice is like why don't we fly west and they're like well no that's the end of the world you'll fall off you'll sail off and he's like no no i don't think so and then lo and behold you get back to your base and Lo and behold, it the world is round. So that's one of the discoveries you get. So you are. Oh, that's right! I forgot. <laughs> yeah, you literally are uncovering the world right in front of you. Yeah, the world is round is literally one of the discoveries. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's so cool, and the crew as well that you would um, like attain are all multi-diverse, multicultural things like that. You have people from Yafatoma. You have people from Ixataka. You have people from Valua, which is the Yellow Kingdom. Um, so it's all really cool. Um, character names as well translate really well so everyone in Valois has a Spanish name which is super cool and yeah yeah y- Yavatoma is fake Japan Valois is fake yeah. Spain um uh, <laughs> Nazrat is fake Middle East and Ixataka is fake like Amazon jungle or something yeah that's right and that yeah I don't know what the purple uh the ice civilization is all dead so it's fake and Antarctica? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, exactly. I think the purple kingdom is actually my favorite because um Glacier, uh, it's the city is buried under ice. So thousands of years ago, there were lots of ice, like really intelligent warlocks and mages who lived there. And they decided to build their city under the ice, under the glacier to protect it. And long, long, long before the game, something called the Reigns of Destruction is called down, which basically destroys the entire world. But because Glacier is covered in ice, the city of Glacier is preserved, but everybody was out there fighting the war. So all of the people died, but the city is preserved under ice. So it's all shaped like icicles as well. So all of the buildings work from the top of the ceiling down and you climb up them or down them. And it's just really, really cool. And I love 
going there to discover that. And yeah, it's a complete joy. Yeah. Nearly every region. Uh, Valor and Nasrad aren't uh, discoveries, but Ixataka, Yafutoma, and Glacia are all discoveries because right. nobody's been there before, basically, or supposedly, unless Valor have been, but nobody. F- finding discoveries and assembling crew members are two of the best collection-style side quests in any RPG. Because mm-hmm. it's, they're they're fun and visually interesting and rewarding, especially with the since you know getting more crew members means you get more bonuses on your ship. So it's I, I'm shocked that uh, everything that Skies of Arcadia brought to the table hasn't been mimicked outright because it's <laughs> it does so many cool things. I, yeah, I, I want either a an HD remaster or a sequel. Come on, yes, Sega. please. <laughs> Sega even has Atlas now. What's stopping them? Exactly. I think we all want that. <laughs> we, have, we have five Valkyria games and only one Arcadia game. <sighs> okay, so it looks like the next stop on our world tour is Gaia. So, Leona, would you like to tell us about Gaia? Well, I picked Gaia from Final Fantasy IX specifically. And before I go into that, I was going to go into why I picked the places I picked. Great. So, for the two worlds that everyone knows i was like what if i was just an average person with no special abilities and not i'm not a jrpg protagonist and for my secret world i'd go okay that's the adventuring world that's the world where i have to assume that i'm going to have to kill a monster at some point (laughs) so for gaia i felt like that was a world i could live in safely without having any sort of superhuman strength for one uh for other reasons i thought it's such a diverse range of cultures and races, specifically. You have, like, the Bermissians, the rat mm-hmm. people, the dwarves that have a Scottish accent. Uh, <laughs> whatever, also, whatever Kina is. Ah, uh, yes, yes, let's She's not forget them. It's a coup. Yes. A coup, it's a right. Coup. <laughs> a coup. <laughs> yeah, and there's humans, black mages. Even Mughals are, like, their own race with their own culture in ways... It is travelable. There is, like, airships. Like, everyone is kind of, like, airships are the big thing. Lindblom, specifically, is the airship capital. You can see actual airships flying around the area the closer you get to it. Uh, but there's also, like, to travel in, in our city in Lindblom, they also have the air cabs, which are, like, trams between districts. Oh, yeah. And, of course, yeah. there's, there's, there's chocobos. It's Final Fantasy. So if you want to get a chocobo, that's also cool. One thing that got me thinking about is like kind of traditions, like most of the Final Fantasy games and a lot of RPGs, you know, occasionally there'll be like a festival when you get to a town or something <laughs> like that. But FF9 has a lot of diverse and really cool little traditions like the the Permissian dance and the, the, the festival the of the hunt. hunt. Yeah, the festival <laughs> of the hunt, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Poor baby. Oh, uh, he, he just, just gets... wanted a little Tetra Master card. Yeah, and he gets roped into this death tournament. <laughs> Which he can oh. win quite easily. Yeah, but, you know, Freya has to win because she's got the best accessory. Freya has to win because she's the best character. Okay, Freya I'll, give you, I'll give you that. But I also think, personally, if I did get homesick, I could also go to Quantity and live with dwarves for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'd, I'd fit in there. And they seem friendly. Wouldn't you just tower over everyone there, though? <laughs> I'm six foot four, so yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> you, you're six four. You would totally fit in into a village of dwarves, yep. You, you know what? They seem like a cool people. I think they'd be fine with it. 
they, they allowed like a non-binary marriage you know that's very progressive of them between Quinnette and Vivi. <laughs> they do. <laughs> that is probably one of my favourite scenes, the wedding scene. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, Quinn is like, I is happy. And Vivi's like, me too. <laughs> it's so cute. I think I love all the little towns in um, Gaia. I think my favourite is probably Clara, which is the second rap. Yeah. Yes. yes. The, the treehouse and the sky. Yeah, the, yeah, it's really, really cool. It's protected by a sandstorm, and they're yeah. very peaceful, and they want to stay on their own. They specifically split off from the Burmesians hundreds of years ago, didn't they? Because they didn't want yes, to fight. Yes, because they're too warlike. Mm-hmm. And they, they um, wanted a peaceful sort of uh, religious living, I suppose you'd yeah. call it. They're very sort of, like, there's nuns when you go there. Yeah, that's right. Like, Burmesia itself is actually really cool, because you don't see Burmesia as a, com- I don't want, I can't think of another word to say, a complete town or a city. When you no, go no. to Amicia, it's destroyed. It's completely ruined, and yeah. that's the only picture you get of that hometown, and it's really quite shocking. Like, the world is kind of crumbling around, and you start off in the idyllic Alexandria, and you're kind of like Garnet in that you see the mm-hmm. uh, world as kind of, oh, everything's fine and perfect, but she's kind of coming to terms with the fact that her mother's evil, and then the more and more you get along, you see all these tragedies, and you go, no, the queen is evil. She's doing yeah. something or something. It's just it, the world evolves just as the plot evolves, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see this sort of escalation of just destruction as you're going from town to town. At the same time, you're seeing a lot of these like cool, excellent tourist destination towns as well. So it's. I mean, there's not a town in Final Fantasy IX that I think isn't like, it doesn't feel lived in. If they all feel very lived in, they all feel like <laughs> yeah. they could be existing places i mean even dali the little village is just so small and it's just in any other jrpg that would just be a little pass-through town but in final fantasy 9 it's actually like an area of importance of plot and it's beautiful it's got windmills <laughs> it's like calling yeah I'd like yeah. to live in Lindblom just because it's a big m- metropolis with a lot going on, and then maybe visit Trano if I had money. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but only if I had money because there's there's some you know there's some economic <laughs> disparity in that town. But oh, it's, yes. uh, but, but yeah, all of the towns in Final Fantasy IX are cool. That's actually kind of a tradition carried over from FF6 too, because you have Jidor, and then right like the next town you go to is Sosa, which is yeah. monster mm-hmm. infested and <laughs> very destitute. Yeah. I just think, like, it's. I think Final Fantasy IX is set up as a good place for a tourist because immediately when you start a game, you run into a bunch of Treno tourists being led around <laughs> Alexandria. So, like, it's meant to be. Yep. You're meant to wander around and visit. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you're introduced you're to the point. Yep. All right, any, any other thoughts on Gaia? I mean, I, just, I, I didn't mention Terra because Terra doesn't have it, if we're honest. For the brief time that you see it, it's just mostly blue. It's <laughs> got <laughs> so, these big mushroom trees. <laughs> I remember a blue light. Yeah, that's basically it. Um, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, it does have lots of eyes and like pandemonium. It's like a place covered in eyes seems to be the motif. Oh, the bit is it Ibsen's castle where there's the wall of faces when in on Gaia. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, that yes, bit yes, freaks me the... out. There's also that cross of technology, isn't there? Because obviously, terror is so much more advanced, advanced. and you yeah. have Oliver and Ibsen's castle, which have snippets of all of that, and it's mm-hmm. kind of 
foreshadowing and kind of creepy like terror is a very strange place is it, which castle is it the one that's upside down it's not is that's not it's not epson castle is it it's another yeah, one that is, it is yeah. epson's castle yeah, 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 like, yeah, you yeah. have to use the basic weapons you yeah, have to use yes. your first weapon it, yeah. it's upside down and um the uh like the weaker your weapon is, the more damage it does. So That's you can right. so so it, you can find a copy of everyone's first weapon in that castle. But if you held on to them for most of the game, then you don't need to. <laughs> when you go into the castle and you find like a dagger, you're like, "That's useless." <laughs> so it's like, nope, it's the strongest weapon available no. for Zidane. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very kind of eerie place. It's a good contrast to what you see before. It's it's just a, it's a completely barren continent, really, compared to the Mist continent, which is more alive and green it's got loads of villages and then you go out up north you've got Estogaza, which is mm. a snowy northern town with a lot of religious imagery going on there mm. and then apart from that that's the only other civilization apart from like conde pity that's not on the mist continent yeah it's another like undiscovered uh, world isn't it because everyone on the yeah. mist continent just assumes that the mist continent is the be all and end all of gaia but no there's yep. All the other continents as well. I mean, the Forgotten Continent isn't lived. Is it the Forgotten One or the one to the left? I can never remember the names of all it's of like them. There's the Lost Continent and the Forgotten Continent, mm-hmm. and I'm always yeah. like, which one's which? I, I think, yeah, it's, so I, think one... it, I think it's Mist, Outer, then Lost, and Forgotten, which yes. is That's it's it. just not helpful. The, <laughs> one, <laughs> the one that Ibsen's castle on has nobody living there at all. No, so, right. Yeah. So that sort of ties it in a little bit to Arcadia. Yeah. Which is like, there is a lot of similarities the way you described it. It's like, oh, this kind of sounds like Final Fantasy IX in ways. Well, Final game? Fantasy IX does have an ocean that is water and not open sky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yes. True. All right. So next up on our tour, uh, my second choice, which is Mist Island and the other world involved. One reason I chose it is because I felt point-and-click adventures needed some representation. We, we should say this is yeah. Mist Island in the game Mist. M-Y-S-T, yes. Mist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Not Miss <laughs> Continent. Not the Miss Continent. <laughs> but that, yeah, we're going from Mist to a diff- an entirely different Mist. Yeah. Um, I thought po- there's so many good point and click adventures with really worlds that have very interesting histories, worlds that have kind of interesting aesthetics. So I wanted to give them some representation. And there's the fact that, you know, Mist is a tiny island, and usually when you think of a tiny island, you kind of think of some limitations and repetition. You know, there's a, if you're stuck there, there's just a limited number of things you can do. Um, and that's always kind of fascinating me about Mist because it is this very contained place. But they take that concept and it's the beginning of this really expansive journey because it holds the secret of being able to create and travel to basically any world you want through writing books. Um, there are four different four books that link to different ages on Mist itself. And as you go through the game and kind of explore these ages, you you find out that this art of writing is basically the a skill that's a remnant of a great society called the Dini, who mastered and developed this skill of writing books that literally take you to other worlds. And it's, it's kind of cool to think of, like, imagine how powerful that skill is for one person, but then they had a whole society of people doing it. I want one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I hate the bus. <laughs> yeah, just be able to right, be able to link wherever you want to do. Exactly. <laughs> really, really convenient. But yeah, so the, the deeper you go into Mist and the associated worlds, like you learn that there, 
it was a very structured, the Denis was a very structured society that created all of this. Um, they had a great emphasis on creating and crafting things, which is why I think this world would also be a cool place to visit. They had all these guilds that covered everything from the secret ink and prop paper processes to make these you know, magical books to writing itself and a ton of geological surveying and underground architecture and building. And it might be cheating a little to pick a world where you can basically create what you want and make your own destination, but I had to. Um, so does, does this world include like all the puzzles that come with it? Do you yeah. have to complete a puzzle to do literally anything? <laughs> uh, that depends. That depends on how you write your age. Um, I think it's it's mostly the people involved that just really liked puzzles. <laughs> or I mean, there's this whole theme of them really wanting to protect the skill of writing. So that's kind of like the undergoing rationale for all the really annoying puzzles is like they don't want this skill to fall into the wrong hands. Oh. It's like gatekeeping. <laughs> it, it really, yeah, they are they are gatekeeping this amazing skill. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. It, it, it's sort of funny how they um they I think that mist is really aimed at people that love books and libraries. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a way it's a celebration of books and writing in uh, wrapped in this unusual puzzle game that has a lot of uh there's a lot of trickeration in mist. Like, are we going to talk about the brothers trapped inside books? Yes. Okay, so, right, but, but but it's like there's in a way it's a celebration of books and writing and this really uh this really inventive influential puzzle game that I I have not really played it uh, it's the all-time favorite game of one of my best friends and i have i have been quoting in the past i have quote unquote played it while she was over my shoulder telling me what to do but, but uh, i don't know if that really counts as playing it and i definitely never got close to finishing it <laughs> i, I my, my boyfriend's favorite game i've seen him play it but i've never actually played it myself but i do remember the sort of command and conquer style voice Acting oh, the yeah. live action. Actors. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. The, the creators of the game, like one of them, I think, had multiple roles as the father and the son in the first game. Like, and I, you're right. It was very influential. The game itself, technology-wise, as well. They it, and it definitely helped promote CD-ROMs as a, a game medium. Need that space. So that's an. In yeah, you really did. Um, and, and the other last, the, the last reason, well, two final things I want to say about it is if you really, like, if you play all the games and read a bunch of extra material and everything, it is really cool because it's a very human story as well, even though a lot of the games don't, are kind feel kind of barren, you just have all these really pretty landscapes, not a lot of people to interact with, but if you, if you delve deeply enough, it's, a, it's, a pretty interesting human story about the last remaining family, the last remaining people who right. understand this skill. And like Celosi mentioned, there are the two sons who really get a little power hungry, power crazy with creating ages. And some of them have people in them and kind of lording over these people. And that's why they kind of end up getting trapped in the prison ages in the Mist Library. That's actually a specific type of book that, <laughs> that they didn't even created. Like from Superman, you know, where they imprison uh, Zod, like in those yeah. little Yeah, the, uh, yes. the, the, the very similar concept, yes. The, um, the Phantom Zone, yeah. Yeah, the Phantom yeah. Zone, that's it. Exactly, and one of the first mistakes you make in Mist is probably linking to that age and accidentally freeing one of them and getting trapped yourself. And As yeah, you and, and, and one of them is sort of charming and the other one is sort of uh, much like, more, more acerbic, and, but 
but neither of them properly communicate to you the results of <laughs> of, of what of the or the consequences of freeing one of them. Well, of course not. They don't want to be trapped. Yeah, <laughs> they're like evil genies, <laughs> like Jafar. Don't you want to help one of these guys get trapped in the book forever and get a game over? Of course you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. Uh, I, yeah, I no, I definitely did that the first time I played. Um, okay. And the last quick point is there's an interesting tie into our world, which I think really speaks to the whole like celebration of knowledge and literature and reading. Um, because Denis was allegedly located underground on Earth somewhere near New Mexico. And that's kind of how the whole saga begins. The, the Stranger, which is the name for the player character, finds the missed linking book somewhere near the cleft that leads to Denis in, I think it's supposed to be New Mexico area so no i did not know that mm-hmm. so there's a connection to our world which is really cool if you're thinking of it in those terms yeah not many games do that do they not many games use earth as itself or link into the real world uh well and rpgs i suppose in particular right yeah there there are a few clicks i'm trying to think of one now shadow hearts <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, that's kind of upfront about it <laughs> yeah but it's, it's real life history. Yep. <laughs> no, Anastasia totally ran around killing demons. <laughs> yeah, she that did. Happened. Rasputin <laughs> was possessed by a demon. Oh, yeah. I love Rasputin. He, he's got, got a great killer song. I love his songs. <laughs> <laughs> he should have been on Shadowheart's Covenant last year. Yeah, that Rasputin. Uh, yes. In the dark of oh the night. Yeah we, yeah, we have two episodes of Shadowheart's Covenant, or two Retro Encounter episodes all about Shadowheart's Covenant that uh, we released last year, and there's more Shadowhearts coming in the future that I guess we can talk about later. Yes. Mm-hmm. I will give an update about that. Excited for it. All right. So next stop we have is Eorzea. Yes, Eorzea, um, the world from Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, that was one of my picks, and basically, uh, and now I should mention, I am not the most well-traveled Final Fantasy XIV player. I uh, I played through all of the 2.0 content, and uh, and I'm basically stuck in between the uh, uh, in the I guess you would call it 2.x content. So. I've finished the main story for A Realm Reborn, but have not gotten to Stormblood yet. Or, I'm sorry, not gotten to uh, Heaven's Heaven's Word or Stormblood yet. But (laughs) it is one of the coolest game worlds I've ever been in. The um, the three large metropolises are feel lived in and real and diverse and awesome. And I have done I've gotten every uh, every class on my main character up to around the fifteen to the fifteen to eighteen range. So I've done I've spent plenty of time in all three of those of those big cities. And then the, there's like smaller settlements and towns that you can travel between with the uh, e- either with a, a giant chocobo or a giant mecha or any of the, <laughs> or any of the uh, goofy deal um, uh, DLC travel items you can get. You, you can rent chocobos or get your own chocobo or uh, you know ride things however you want. And there's also um, airship service between the three towns, and you can teleport with crystals, but pay guild depending on how. Uh, how far you have to travel between them. There's a giant casino golden saucer that is maybe the the best collection of mini games in any Final Fantasy game ever. I, I don't want to just stumble around talking about it, but it is a truly amazing game world, That and I'm, I am tempted practically weekly to start my Final Fantasy XIV subscription again. Because mm-hmm. I have a uh, I have a um, a feisty cat boy who is a level fifty monk and a level fifty one warrior who I would mm-hmm. I, I would love to get back into the game, but it's 
it, it's it's a huge time commitment that I don't know I can do in good conscience since I you know have a podcast to produce and other games to play. <laughs> but it's a uh, um, it is one of the coolest RPG worlds I've ever experienced, and I am like sometimes I would just walk around Limsa Lominsa and just be blown away by it. Yeah, I love um I do love all the three main towns though. You started in where did you start off? Um my your starting town is dependent on your starting class and you can again you can you can have uh, all you can play yeah. all classes as one character just by switch just by you know switching around your weapon but I started out as a pugilist which is the the the, 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 the pre-monk. So I started out in Uldah. Mm-hmm. I started out in Uldah, the desert town. But I yeah. eventually, uh, I eventually decided that I liked tanking more than DPS. So I eventually switched to being a warrior main, and all the warrior quests are based in Limsa Laminsa. So I, I started in Ulda, but my adopted hometown ended up being Limsa, and I ended up signing up. I ended up signing in. I and you can also sign up to be a, uh, to be like a militia member in one of the four in one of the three big towns, and I ended up doing Limsa for that. Ah, yeah. nice. We thank you for your service. <laughs> hey, they yeah. give you some good rewards for those quests. They do, yeah. Well, um, sorry, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say quickly, that speaks a lot to the game world in general, that you can start in one location and then kind of have an adopted hometown. I mean, I haven't played a lot, but I recently started in Ulda too, and I've, mm-hmm. I've been pretty... I've been pretty impressed with just even the little surrounding outposts and just how much is going on between them and the main city. And like, there's a lot to do. It's yeah, very... For your, for your first 15 levels or so, you really only can do your, uh, your your quests in your starting town and I guess your class quests in the starting town. But once everything opens up, it's just, oh my god. And, yeah, uh, it's, and, it's and crazy, you, isn't it? And you spend a lot of time in those three main towns. But I think a, a, a fourth big metropolis is available in heaven's ward and then i know yeah. I, I don't know a lot about stormblood but i know that you go into uh alamigo which was a big kingdom that was that is taken over by uh by the evil empire and i think you also go to a town in doma which is the more you eastern... go to doma you go yeah. to doma and but but is doma the country or the town i can't remember specifically okay. i haven't played stormblood i am uh, probably, I'm in between Stormblood and Heaven's Warden and in the same situation okay. as you. Well, um, Alright, well, yeah. again, this is, a, this is a slightly under-informed opinion, but, uh, or <laughs> under-informed explanation, but uh, Alamigo is sort of like the, the big um, like monk kingdom, and you're helping take back Al- Alamigo from the evil empire. Mm-hmm. And Doma is sort of the, the, the kingdom of samurai and ninjas, which is also taken over by the Evil Empire, and I know you travel there, but I don't know a lot of what goes on in Doma because that's all in the Stormblood expansion that I haven't played. But most it... of Stormblood is set in Doma, so yeah. Oh, even it's, though it's, it's, not, it's not Alamigo and Doma, because it is Alamigo and Doma, but it's kind of bookended. So you start off, okay. I think, to do with Alamigo. Someone will, Mike. Someone will tell me I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I'm, yeah, again, this is an uh, this is an underinformed explanation. But, the, <laughs> but yeah, uh, a lot but... of the time is in Doma because both of the uh, primals are um, Asian inspired. Okay. So, yeah. Oh yeah, one of them's uh, is one of them Biako and one of them uh, Lakshmi. No, Biako was added. Lakshmi is one of okay. them, and the okay. other one is a new one called Susano. Which yeah. Oh okay, so yeah. <laughs> oh. So, okay, so, yeah, okay, so, so yeah. Mm-hmm. I know those personas. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah well, Biako well, I mean... <laughs> was added um, in one of the future patches. Okay, so but... so he so Biako's a raid boss. I get it. Yeah. That's that makes right. sense. Oh. Yeah, but but anyway, um, and also, I mean, for Final Fantasy fans out there, oh my God, is there so much Final Fantasy content to explore here? It um, is there? Yeah. Yeah, like the 
basically uh, the 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 raid bosses and the major story bosses are all big Final Fantasy references. I don't want and uh, I don't want to get into exactly why they are. And primals, which are basically gods of of these sort of uncivilized species, are major boss fights and typically Final Fantasy summons from previous games. And mm-hmm. uh, th- there's a a really cool version of the Final Fantasy class system. There is a a truly terrifying amount of optional content and side quests. There's a there's a large um, a large multi-layered dungeon inspired by the Tactics Ogre series. A large a large multi-layered tower dungeon that's the Crystal Tower from Final Fantasy III. Um, oh. the, the, the current the current raid content is inspired by the Evilese Final Fantasy Tactics miniseries Yay. and was and yeah. is ri- and is written or co-written by Matsuno, the Evilese architect. Sort of, it's oh, wow. there is so much stuff in Final Fantasy fourteen that is that was just a playground for Final Fantasy fans. And again, <laughs> I'm not playing it currently because of time commitments, and I don't want to pay the uh, I, I don't want to pay the monthly fee when I'm not going to be playing the game. But oh man, it is one of, if not the coolest RPG worlds I've ever experienced. It, it Final Fantasy XIV is special, mm-hmm. and I've only mm-hmm. played one segment of it, and I never even experienced the pre meteor version. Because I mean, Leona and, and <laughs> Hillary, you you probably know this, but the original version of Final Fantasy XIV was not successful. It was a uh, it, it was a kind of a mess, in fact, and it was not yeah. well, received well. Yep. So as part of an in-game event, they had the meteor fall and destroy the world. <laughs> And then yes. they, and they, they relaunched it as 2.0 A Realm Reborn and as part of the story they're rebuilding the world post meteor. Yeah, right. Yeah. I love that it's intertwined into it that they didn't just write off. I think it's really special. It's so, I was going to mention so that. It's so smart and cool. I've only played a little of 14. I played up to the end of I think like the snowy dragon people. Oh, I so don't... you're just you're about the same place as I am then. Yeah, and you're yeah, even heaven sword. Oh, am I? I didn't. I don't feel like I played very much. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, did you like play someone else's account or something? No, I played my own. I got to like third level a summoner something, level something fifteen. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so you would you would have started? Well, was this before Realm Reborn or this is after? It was after like the meteor hit. Okay. Oh. So there I, is a kind of snowy area, but you don't get there until like level forty-five to fifty. I don't think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe the, I was snow, further the, than I thought. The snowy area is uh, near the end of the Realm Reborn storyline. So yeah, level 40 to 50, just like Lana said. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I was further than I thought then. Okay. So I have played quite a bit then. I was up to the dragon snowy people. Yep. Like the, the Game yeah, of Thrones people. Yeah, in, in general, a Realm Reborn is level 1 to 50, and then mm-hmm. um, Heaven's Word is level 50 to 60, and Stormblood is level 60 to 70. In in general, that that's oversimplifying it a bit. Yeah. Well, that really speaks to how good 14 is because I'm not a big MMO person. I don't like playing MMOs, but apparently I played that one for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I, same. I a significant amount of time into 14. I must be nearly 400 hours. And yeah. And, and, and uh, um, Alana, you were mostly a ninja, right? A rogue and a ninja? Yeah, I started off as an archer and then branched mm. off into ninjaing and started <laughs> doubling in machinist as well. So yeah, I was. I, I never unlocked the three uh, Heaven's Word classes, but I was really excited to try Dark Knight. I never got to, though. Dark Knight is super cool, yeah. I like Machinist because it's off the wall and a little bit weird, and I like guns. Um, in the context of RPGs, I like them. Just... <laughs> yeah, I think I mentioned I was, I was a... Whenever I did damage, I was a monk, and whenever I wanted to tank, I played Warrior. And I, and 
and yeah, I'm 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 level right at level fifty for both of them, just doing the the boring content in between a realm reward and heaven's word. Yeah. Uh, th those quests aren't great. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to re-explore the world and especially get to some new dungeons and areas. And I should probably bring up as well, like. Um, there are hard versions of every single dungeon, but it changes right. the layout of every single dungeon as well and the look of them. So the one I always remember is the forest one, the one that's the poisonous one, the one that's outside, and I can't remember the name at the moment. Oh, that's, that, that's not a... I, I don't love that one, actually. Do you not? No, the, that what? one... That's the one that's sort of in caves. That... No, this is the open forest one where you fight a poisonous dragon at the end of it. Oh, is it um, Bra Brave Flocks? Yes, that one. Oh, okay, that, okay, okay. That that one's a great dungeon. I thought you were talking yeah. about. I'm talking about the cave with spiders in it. <laughs> no, definitely not. Okay, no, 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 no. no Brayflox is a great dungeon. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like open air and really bright and sunny the first time you do it, but the next time you do it, it's really gray and dark. And uh, oh, I think wow. it's, um, it, the hard version is full of machines, and I think the final boss is a tank, if I remember correctly. It's been a while, but yeah, I love the way that things change depending on whether you're playing the easy or the hard version of it as well. Oh, that's. Yeah, so there are a ton of options, and it really is a place you can get lost in. Mm -hmm. All right, so it looks like next up is Lyannis and Mechanis from Xenoblade, and that's one of Alana's picks. Yeah, oh man. Um, there is a lot to talk about with the Lyannis and the <laughs> Mechanis. Um, so the big and obvious thing that I love about the Lyannis and the Mechanis is that they are two giant humanoid titans. So people live, um, people live on these two essentially inanimate deceased titans uh and you start off around the calf area um in colony nine um basically the bionis and the mechanist people are warring um and you play as a group of humans or starts off as a group of humans and they want to rebel against the uh mechon the mechons because they have killed somebody that they love and shulk has this magical sword that you, know, you can see the future and stuff that's oversimplifying it but Basically, the way that you travel up the Bionis is probably why I love Xenoblade so much. You start from the Calf, which is full of all the human population. Colony 9 is essentially the outside of it is built out of um, destroyed mechons and metal and scrap, basically. So there's you can feel the after effects of war and you can feel that people are living, trying to get by and things like that. But as you travel up, you go up to yeah. the knee, which is the... Uh, Gower Plains and where Colony 6 is and Colony 6 is a ruin by the time you get it and there's a whole side quest where you have to rebuild Colony 6 which is really cool and you basically invite people from all the other cities and towns and areas even eventually you go over to the Maconis and you bring people from the Maconis over as well and they start to inhabit but there are also it's multicultural multi-diverse as well so you have the Bionis is really cool because there are mostly humans which are called Homs uh the further up you get, Machna Forest has is where all the Nopon live, and people who are familiar Yay. with the Xenoblade series. Oh, I um, love the Nopon. The Nopon have got gradually worse with every game, but Ricky and the Nopon in Xenoblade Chronicles are perfect and special. I, I only recommend Ricky. Yeah, they're all very adorable and lovely. Um, Ricky is the Heropon that we all deserve. Heropon, um, ah! <laughs> um, and then you have the um, High Entia, which are these. They're long. They're, they're kind of like the Xenoblade's equivalent of elves in that they have funny ears and they live till they're like two thousand years old and they're all super magical and cool. But the like the way that Bionis is laid out is really really awesome. So there's like, again, it's quite distinct. So you have your typical open field area. You have a 
swamp area and places change between day and night as well so the swamp area is probably one of the most memorable because when it's in day it's like a normal craggy misty swamp but at night time all of the swamp lights up and it glows and the music changes and it's really really beautiful and bioluminescent mushrooms or something it's like just glows it's beautiful yeah and also um valak mountain which is like the back of the neck of the bionis i think it's it's like the the shoulder going up to the neck yeah Mm -hmm. that's right um that as well it's a big snowy mountain so vast snowy plains in the day at night huge light beams shoot up shoot up from um, the uh the ground and they look really really cool um and also the um animals change as well between day and night um one of the coolest oh, you, haven't, you haven't talked about my favorite uh my favorite part of the game yet it, 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 it's, it's technically not the, the bionis i guess oh okay <laughs> um so what the sword or um, the fallen the arm. inside the fallen oh arm. I, I love the fallen arm yeah it's it's so beautiful it's uh i i think the fallen arm is the the bionis's arm that was chopped off when the bionis and Mechan- and Mechanis did battle uh mm-hmm. like uh centuries earlier so it's an organic uh it's an organic arm so it's it's very green very pretty but it's been inhabited by mechons the uh the you know the uh the like the sentient friendly version of um inorganic people uh since then so it's it's like a very it's like a decades post-apocalypse area almost because it's very green but also overrun with machines yeah, and it's, it's just it's just such a clash, and it's uh, and the and the town where you all with all the friendly mechons in it is very nice. So I, I I love the fallen arm. It's so beautiful. It's so lonely as well, isn't it? Because it's yeah. so cut off from everywhere else. The music's really slow. I really love that area. Actually, it's really cool. It's my favorite um, part of the game. I I love the fallen arm. <laughs> I think my favorite area is ooh, good grief. I mean, I do really like um, Subtle Marsh, but I do like Aerith Sea. I I mean, it's pretty big. Um, you do have to do a lot of swimming, but I like the high-end tier. They're really cool. And I just like the contrast between the really big, beautiful ocean, but then you've got, like, the highly religious, respected, very peaceful, calm high-end tier who are technologically quite advanced. Like, their buildings are huge, and they use, you know, it's just very clean and pristine and very beautiful. But Mekonis itself, you don't get to explore as much. Um, but I do like the fact that the way you climb up it is essentially inside it, the whole thing. So Mekonis Field or the Mekonis Factory, you have to go up inside the mech work of the Mekonis and get to the top, really. Um, they do spoilers come to life near the... Or the Bionis is awoken towards the end of the game. And then some of the locations and the enemies change when that wakes up as well, which is really awesome. Um it's just an ever-evolving ecology, really, and it's really cool to see what happens when the Bionis wakes up as well. Because the you go through insides, the insides of the Bionis at times, and um, you can see ne- when you go through it, everything is, um, doesn't move or anything. But the second time you go back, when everything, when the Bionis is awake, you can see like body parts pulsing, things light up, the enemies are arousing, there are insects crawling around. It's really creepy and just really interesting. It's just such an interesting way to progress through a world is where you're just going up, up, up and then you can look down at some parts and you can see yeah. these areas where you've just been and it's just like it feels like a totally different world sometimes. Yeah, the bit where, where you travel 
Yeah, the bit where you transition between the Bionis and the Maconis, you actually go across the sword that's yeah. stabbed into the um the is it stabbed into the Bionis and the Maconis. I always get them it, the wrong it's way the around. It's the Maconis's sword stabbed into yes, the Bionis. That's yeah. right. Um, and you can look at one point. There's like a lookout point, and you can actually see like the bot. You can see where you've come from. You can see Colony Nine at the base Ooh. or at the shin area. It's ridiculous. It's like a little, not. It's kind of like a teacup shape. So they've kind of built it into the back of the Bionis, but it's really, really amazing. And the fact that you can see the entire Bionis from the Meconis and the Meconis from the Bionis as well is crazy. It is one of the most interesting, unique locations in an RPG I've ever, in a game I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it has the double, kind of the double whammy of having the living world, Bionis and Meconis, and kind of the duality of Bionis being biological and then mechanical yeah. too mm-hmm. and, and at the beginning of the game it sort of commutes a uh, communicates a bionis bionic people are good mechanis uh inorganic people are bad that gets not inverted exactly but gets very complicated as you yeah, play through the game and it, it there um, is twist. <laughs> yeah there's there's multiple twists chained together involved here but it's a it, it's it's a really beautiful cool world Mm-hmm. I, to be honest, I could have picked either any of the Xenoblade worlds. I could have picked Cross's planet, which is amazingly diverse and wonderful. I could have picked Xenoblade 2's world as well, because I do love all of those individual titans, but it all felt a bit too separated for me, and not like the, the races are not as diverse. They're essentially just different hubs of people, whereas there you can tell there are Homs and Hyantia and things like that. But yeah, um, Cross's World I don't remember as much as why I didn't put it, but it I do remember like there are six like distinct locations, and it's just really incredible. So I think credit to them, because I don't want to say Xenogears World, because I did toy with picking Xenogears as a pick, but there's nothing like that particularly stands out about the world, and obviously there's a lot of, like, the second half of the game, or the second, like, part of the game you don't really do a lot of traveling so yeah xenoblade chronicles is definitely the peak of that kind of the xenoverse worlds for me i would say great okay so last stop in the um part of the tour that we knew and communicated to each other beforehand and that is stardew valley yes yay Yeah, me too. (laughs) Continuing my idea of I have no special powers, but I am a farmer. (laughs) I'm not really. (laughs) But Stardew Valley apparently puts a high commodity on pumpkins called become very rich (laughs) being a farmer. And that's what I'm really aiming for here. I want to become rich. So I want to go to Stardew Valley. Gives you the like, lets you live out the fantasy of being wealthy and successful from hard work. Yes, (laughs) but not not too much hard work. That's the point. Okay. Okay. Automate a lot of this. Right. You have to go to the saloon and town and chat with everyone too. Play some video games. I just want to own my own place and and have a a romantic partner and work. And I can't get that in reality, so I'm going to start. (laughs) I feel like you know me. (laughs) Uh, But there's also, it's also, it's like, it's what I like. It's like the real world 
but with a hint of magic. It's like very, mm-hmm. there's just some actual magical elements, like the very cute race called the Junimos. <gasps> yes. These friend, <laughs> friendly little elves who just like you to collect things for them. And I'm okay with that. I'll collect anything they want. Yeah. Then- <laughs> you can, I'll share the spring crops with them a little bit. That's fine. Yeah. I'll pick dandelions <laughs> for you. <laughs> And they reward you, and then they'll, you know, you can get them to work on your farm, slave labor. Again, making me rich, make me rich. <laughs> I mean, their their rewards are quite often well worth whatever you give oh, them. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It also feeds that sort of like aspect in gaming where you like to see things get completed and like built up. So like every mm-hmm. time you help them finish a quest, a little bit of the the city was hall gets rebuilt and looks all nice and clean. <laughs> yeah, visual representation of completing of completing tasks is something very attractive about video games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's underrated it's though. Like, it's like you mean that this integer is going to go up by one? Yes. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> but also, probably what I would say is the star attraction of of Stardew Valley would be to visit the local souvenir shop, which. Is a mouse that sells hats called Hat Mouse. <laughs> oh, I love Hat Mouse. Hat, hat Mouse, mouse is me, so cute. Hat Mouse sold me a watermelon pin. I was very happy with Hat Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> he could I sell do. me anything, I'd be happy. The coolest thing about Stardew Valley and Pelican Town is that, again, you've said it, it's this hints of magic, but there are different races, and you've already mentioned the little Junimo. sprites, the Junimo, which always remind me of little soot sprites, kind of, but there's also yeah. like. There are dwarves, but they're really strange dwarves. Are they dwarves? I think they call them. Dwarves. They're called dwarves. They're yeah, called they're, dwarves. they're definitely not dwarves, though. They're like they're essentially like the fourteenth and fifteenth members of Organization Thirteen from Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> they are literally just black. They're they're covered in black, and they they're like shadow gibberish. people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they speak gibberish. But you pick up their scrolls and the mines, and you learn their language, and you can yeah. them. And, you can and then them you can give them gifts, right, and be yeah. friends. Yeah, one of them lives in the mine, and the other one lives in the sewer, and they are adorable, and they are my best friends at the moment. It's yes. really cool. Oh, not to mention, not to mention the wizard that's like just casually chilling in his tower on the outskirts well, of town. Yeah. Well, I did write in my notes. I wrote these a week ago, and I'm just looking at them now. And my last point for Stardew Valley is <laughs> can can get high with local wizard. <laughs> you can indeed get high with a local wizard. <laughs> if you're yeah. into that. But what's really cool as well is that you can, I think these were added in patches on the PC version, Uh, you can have different town layouts, can't, uh, not town layouts, farm layouts. What layout layout did you pick first of all out of interest? Well, I I picked the, when, uh, obviously when I first played it there were no farm layouts, but when I did pick it again I went for the forest, because I like like the mushrooms, (laughs) I guess, you get mushrooms that grow. Uh, yeah, and also you get like an infinite supply of hardwood in the forest one, which is oh, a, that's so yeah. useful. Yeah. A really useful component, and it, you can just farm there and get loads of hardwood. Yeah, I, now I wish I'd pick. What about you? What did you pick? Um, I picked the river one, so right. because I'm obsessed with islands and want everything on separate islands. So yeah, right. but then yeah. I found out it was like the hardest one to make money out of in terms of there's, crops, and I was like, oh. Yeah, there's very little space on that one. But I enjoy it. It's really nice, and it's good for a challenge. 
yeah i've i've really enjoyed having it actually like i enjoy doing different things so you don't just have to raise the farm you can go and spend time with the locals i spend mm -hmm. all of my time catching crabs and giving them to elliot so he loves <laughs> that um enjoy your crabs elliot enjoy your crabs but, if I start playing um, Stardew Valley, I am probably going to pick the layout that gives me the best access to crabs. <laughs> that's like, the river one, then. Well, no, it's not actually because crabs and shrimp are like my favorite foods in the world. <laughs> well, it'd be, it'd be any of them because you can go to the sea and just put crab pots down. So yeah. All yeah. right. <laughs> um, crabs yeah, for everyone. Crabs for everyone. <laughs> I, should, I should pick up Stardew. I, I, so many of my friends Absolutely. like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot so of fun. Weird. Just a couple things I would add is. The way you're able to kind of manage your time and choose the activities that you like to do the most and start doing and develop those skills. So like fishing or you could actually specialize in fishing or using the crab pots to catch things like shrimp and crabs yeah. or foraging or farming. Or there's the mines, which sort of satisfies your like adventure RPG kind of. That is that is literally yeah. what I've put in my notes. Like, if you actually want to go fight a monster, they're very self-contained. <laughs> you're not, not going to be attacked at night. Well, you can get attacked at night mm. at one of the new farms. Um, there's one of those that do that for you. But in the original game, if you you could just go to the mines and kill loads of bats if you wanted I, to. I do love that. There are some weird and unusual enemies the further down you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apart from that, that's about everything I have to say about Stardew Valley. Make me rich. <laughs> it's just quaint, isn't it? I love, I love yeah, it. It's Stardew very Valley. relaxing to play. All of the people as well have really distinctive personalities, and all of them are tied to Stardew Valley in different ways as well. I'm not quite far through enough anybody's like dating or friendship like um, chains or anything yet, but I do notice them saying certain things, and you think, well, what do you mean? Like, why did this happen? Or why is the town hall in ruins or why is this and why is the supermarket there i actually found out the other day you can buy a supermarket pass from the market in town and if you do that they destroy the um they destroy the community center and yeah. it gets replaced by a shop yeah i had and no you don't idea. get the junimo rewards anymore no it's, it's a there's a very strong like anti-corporate message in stardew valley it's very mm. Good. The big Walmart is bad, and like the local shops are what you should be supporting. It's a very strong and message in Stardew Valley. I, I agree. And local <laughs> farms to make me rich. <laughs> Yay! Okay, so last last round, we are revealing our secret picks. I'll start with with mine, which are the Twin Worlds of Stark and another Arcadia from the Longest Journey series oh. of video games oh, yes i wanted to do even more point and click representation so i i picked them one because uh, my rationale for the secret world was uh, kind of the inverse of leona actually for my secret world i i picked something where you know i might easily find a place and that's definitely in stark because it is the pretty familiar to someone from our world kind of technological half of those twin worlds it's i think like a few hundred years um in the future is the setting and it's just the locations it, it's hard to describe the locations are all really unique um they feel extremely fleshed out like there's there's a sense of community you really get to learn 
a lot about the characters that you interact with there and basically different locations in the cities as well in Stark. Like w one example is um, in Longest Journey, you play April Ryan. She's an art student. So you basically go, you start out the game kind of going through many of the places involved in her daily routine. So she has a room in this really cool refurbished a little bit industrial looking boarding house, but it has all these really pretty murals and that's where she lives. And you go with her to the university campus to work on a painting and you go to the cafe and talk with her best friends. So it's, it's just very, very, very engrossing. I honestly think a lot of the side characters are all pretty likable as well. Even then there's a little bit of a progression between the games in or between the games in Stark because April has the ability to shift between Stark and the other half of the parallel world, which is Arcadia, which is more of kind of a standard magical fantasy sort of world that has talking animals, merfolk, all sorts right. of really interesting, cool things. Um, but this she, is so new to me. I've yeah, this game. so she, yeah. so the, the whole problem in the first game is that she's having nightmares like during finals, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think if I'm remembering correctly. And it turns out it's because she can shift between these two parallel worlds and she's actually visiting Arcadia when she thinks she's, she's dreaming. So you go through the game, you go to Arcadia, you learn that you're a shifter and that you can shift and you influence and you learn that there's a balance between these two worlds. It's a dichotomy and the guardian of the balance has stepped down. So you have to figure out how to restore balance between these two worlds. Cause it's, causing a lot of chaos, which is mostly seen in the magical world, Arcadia, because Arcadia is inherently a little bit more chaotic. So you influence events there, and that in turn actually influences events in Stark in the second and third games and causes a big economic collapse, which is kind of interesting because a lot of locations in Stark, like Venice is supposed to be in California, so the locations are kind of familiar, but after this economic collapse, it just reshuffles what we would expect about locations kind of in our world. So like, I think Zoe's from Casablanca and you learn in the second game that like Africa's become this huge producer of resources and very, very wealthy. Um, Ireland is a Luddite colony where people who don't like the technological advances that have happened go <laughs> and live without technology. Yeah. It's, it's really, really interesting. And you get a little bit of everything there. So, and also the protagonists throughout the series, Zoe and April are, pretty fantastic female characters. So that is another reason I would pick it. Because you want to meet them. Yeah. I would <laughs> hang out with them. And pop. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know if any of you have ever played that series, but it is it's long, especially if you go into all the games. Um, especially the the last one is even episodic actually, but it's it's well worth it. You can spend a lot of time in that world. Huh, okay. I I've I think I own The Longest Journey. It's been in my Steam library for probably several years. <laughs> and, I, and I know several people that really think of that game highly. And uh, uh, before I met either any of you three, in fact. But uh, I don't know. I've never gotten around to it. I think because I, I heard that some of the puzzles were a little obtuse. Yes, that is, that is true. Yeah, it is probably what I think uh, frightened me away from it. But it's like I, a lot of – so many people like that game that I, I, I'm sure it's a cool world to explore, but I, I don't really have any experience with it, sadly. No, I'm Google imaging it right now. <laughs> yeah, excellent. 
That's that's another thing to say about it. Actually, just it's a there are a lot of unique and diverse looking settings aesthetically. That's that's another really neat component to it. Like none of the cities look the same, mm-hmm. and you and you do get to learn the layouts of them fairly well, which is also cool. So next stop then is the Evil Academy from Disguise Three, and that is Solosi's secret pick. Right um, now, <laughs> before I get specific with Disguise Three, let me briefly talk about Disgaea in general. Like, Disgaea, the word means, you know, Disgaea, anti-Earth. It's because it's it takes place in, takes place in sort of a backwards never, netherworld, where uh, things like, I don't know, things like honor and um, and accomplishment are kind of in reverse. Like, it, it, it has a sort of a rule, the strong survive, the strong rule kind of, kind of thing in place, and things like backstabbing, or just just murdering your employer to take their job is sort of normal and accepted because these are all demons living in a disgaea but the most appealing disgaea setting to me for mostly for comedy reasons is the evil academy in disgaea 3 where uh um, the, the main character is the is the big best honor student in the history of the academy because he never goes to class and only spends his time playing video games, and uh, <laughs> and his childhood friend is a uh, is a delinquent at the academy because she always cleans up the classroom and does her homework on time. So the what a terrible student. Yeah, exactly. So like so <laughs> oh everything is everything is backwards in this really silly <laughs> demon academy where. Uh, you're, you know, you're beating up other gangs at schools, to be, other gangs and clubs to become the boss. And uh, the and you, the main character, part of the conceit is, of it is that the main character decides that uh, he wants to be a hero. But to be a hero, he needs to be uh, he needs to stop being an honor student and become a delinquent. So that sets <laughs> it, so that so that sets him against the uh, his his delinquent friend, and he starts founding school clubs and stuff. And uh, when you're it's a it's a it's a strategy game with a lot of different. Uh, player made characters you can put your you can put your characters in clubs and in classrooms and their seating arrangement will give them different bonuses if they sit next to people in their club or 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 something so there's 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 just so much silliness based on uh that is you know based on like the reverse nature of what of what uh is good and bad in the sky world and also makes fun of both harry potter and school anime a great deal Uh, Uh, excellent yeah so it's a it's Really silly, really fun, but mostly I like the idea of staying home and playing video games to become a uh, the greatest honor student of the academy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I should mention that um, <laughs> one early plot point in the game is that you become furious with your father, who's the headmaster of the academy, because he accidentally stepped on your game station, which uh, <laughs> and, and and destroyed one million hours worth of saved games. A million hours. Wow. Yeah, because oh, wow. like, these are all these are all demons that live thousands right. of years. Oh my gosh, uh, that's funny. So, but so there's just a lot of really fun humor in this goofy ass demon academy that, for you know, silly disguise reasons, I find a very appealing setting that I would not mind living in. I like the idea of rebelling by being a good student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a terrible student, so I'll be like an honest student there. <laughs> yeah, see. Thing is, I mean, I'm I am what is called an insufferable know-it-all. So I was a pretty good student in uh, in in school, but uh, I also liked playing, uh, like spending a lot of time playing video games. So I think that I I would really toe the line between delinquent and honor student <laughs> in, in this in this setting here. And if you look at Mao, the main character, and uh, and like imagine him as a sort of mad scientist slash Harry Potter joke, and I think you can sort of get where they're coming from. Because <laughs> he has glasses and very messy hair, but he's but it's white. And I, I don't want, I don't want to get into 
the story, story spoilers about Disgaea 3, but like sort of what is good versus what is bad and what is a hero is sort of the one part of the plot thrust to it. Also, if you can go to the item world and the Disgaea world. Oh yeah, no, can... oh no, not just the item world. You can jump into an item <laughs> to level up the item in the item world. You can jump up. Into, you can jump <laughs> oh. into. You can jump into one of your own stats. Like you can jump. Into oh a, my god! You can jump into <laughs> a person, into a person, and then level up their character world by defeating dungeons there. And and yeah. uh, whether it's oh my... a, yeah, whether it's a stat or an item or a concept, you can sort of dive into them and uh, conquer those worlds to make them stronger or make yourself stronger. And sometimes when you're in an item world, it'll get raided by pirates from that world, and you have to fight the pirates. It is Disgaea is completely bonkers. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I I've played <laughs> one through four plus D two, but I haven't played Disgaea five yet. I'm I'm still, I don't know. I think I think I'll I'll get it for Switch eventually. But five is good. <laughs> but it's good, good because I I was disappointed by D two. I really like one through four. Um, but I thought D two was kind of bad. No, I think five is probably the best gameplay. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah. Wow. But uh, nice. so yeah, and and, and the story is at least all right. Uh, yeah, it's very tropey, but that's Disgaea. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this guy is weird. Like sometimes it's exceptionally tropey, and that's part of why I didn't like D two, which is the uh, the sequel, mm-hmm. which is the PS three sequel ish, but sequel ish game. But uh, sometimes it subverts those tropes directly and gets unusually, you know, unusually poignant. Like like like, yeah. like, like the Red Moon stuff in Disgaea one is, I think, excellent. But uh, like it, it's it's a lot of anime silliness and RPG subversion. But I, I like almost all the ones I've played. So, and yeah. Disgaea 3's Evil Academy is maybe the most delightful Disgaea setting. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I I like how how meta and how subversive Disgaea can be. <laughs> it's a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, it really is. It's really subversive. It likes to poke fun. So, like, the way it pokes fun is sort of like it, it's embracing it. It's like, I, I am poking fun, but I also like that aspect of these anime tropes and yeah, I have an appreciation. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And it lets you level up every item and then level up your characters to 9,999 and then reincarnate them back to level 1 and level them up again, but with higher base stats. And oh, and then they, wow. they they throw all that at you, but also give you optional bosses that are level, like, 7,000 to balance out the exploitative nature of it. <laughs> so it's, it's, again, completely bonkers, but I love it for how self-aware it is. And sometimes... The, its stories rise above tropes in ways that are <laughs> fascinating, but it, we, we, I, I I don't need to turn this into a Disgaea episode. Um, <laughs> no, uh, okay. I, I, I think we've talked about why I like Disgaea and the Evil Academy enough. It, I, it's Alana's turn now. Yes, Alana's pick is the El Nido Archipelago from Chrono Cross. It did, yeah. Which we were having lots of discussion about before the episode, so... Yes. I, was, like, I think, like, all of please... us almost picked that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. I wanted to pick it, definitely. I was Good. worried someone <laughs> would pick Chrono Trigger's world because I wanted it to be exclusive either or, but yeah. Um, <laughs> whenever you look at maps of video games, Chrono Cross's El Nido always jumps out of me as being the one place I want to go on vacation because, mm-hmm. oh my god, it is beautiful. So... El Nido is um, quite a far off. It's actually set in the same world as Chrono Trigger. It's set, um, it's just west or south of uh, the main west continent. So basically where most of the main game takes up um, place where Chrono lives and such. Um, But it is basically, again, a bunch of islands, but this time in the middle of an actual ocean. Um, So you start off in a small hamlet uh, uh, fishing village called Arnie. Um, 
most of the locals there are all very flamboyantly dressed, very loosely dressed, but I just love the way that it translates this kind of summery beach vibe everywhere you go. So um, Arnie in particular is very peaceful. People love fishing there. They make a living by fishing. And you go to another place, which I um, and none of the other main towns, um, there's Market Town. Um, I haven't played Chrono Cross for a couple of months, but basically what makes it so beautiful is just how different it is and just how colourful Almedo is in particular. So every location has its own feel. And in particular for me, the music makes these places become Mm -hmm. alive for me. So um, there's some really normal places. So there's like a huge mansion, Viper Manor, that's the one. Um, It's just full of really decadent, um, like, Uh, can't talk about Chrono Cross today decadent furniture and things there's also a prison underneath but also underneath that there's a waterway which leads to the um, shadow forest which is a very dark forest that's very full of foliage, very busy very colourful but really it's just the perfect kind of tropical paradise on the surface so Chrono Cross is a bit of a ham to describe and I love it's kind of like crazy. It's not Disgaea levels of crazy, but it is pretty crazy to explain. So the simple, the basics of it is you start off in Homeworld, which is where Surge is from. And very early on in the game, you get transported to another world. And in another world, Surge is dead. But it is basically the same world. There are some things that are different and some things that are similar so most places look exactly the same but one of the um, cities has been taken over by the viper soldiers um by the lord of the manor um whereas in homeworld it's not been taken over by them at all and they're all just living peacefully um but these the contrasts are really they're not subtle but there are differences between the worlds that make them both unique in their own way um there are also the biggest difference in them for me is the there's like a collection of rocks to the side um, it's the Dead Sea in the home world and the Sea of Eden in another world, I believe. And I'm not going to go. It's been to... so long that I, d- I won't be able to keep the, the nomenclature straight between them. <laughs> so the Dead Sea is really interesting, and I'm not going to go too much into it because it is where Chrono Cross starts to get a little bit like cross wires, and it's extremely interesting. But it does take a while to get used to. So everything is very much traditional, like caribbean beach city beach life everything's very traditional but then you get to the dead sea which is basically um an area that's locked off from the rest of the world and once you get access to it it is basically cut off from the rest of the world time is completely frozen and the whole of the dead sea is there's even there's waves crashing but they're just completely frozen in time and it's a collection of destroyed motorways and freeways um and also a giant tower and some cities that are just crumbling but they're all in place as if half destroyed and it when the first time you go there it is so jarring because you're so used to the kind of traditional really homely nice warm feel that you suddenly start to get really suspicious and really worried and it was the one bit where i had to i was waiting for chrono cross to get all Xenogears because the same writer producer and it got all that very quickly at that point and yeah yeah yeah, I really love the Dead Sea and everything it throws at you so you go from fighting like small lizards and birds and mushrooms to robots and things and it's very confusing and it throws much a lot of lore at you and um what's really interesting at the end of the Dead Sea the first time you go there um you fight a particular character there and you're in lean square from Chrono Trigger and you know that because right. there's the mm-hmm. bell 
so there's the, the bell and it's just hanging off and it's a really cool little nod and the game does do a couple of little nods to Chrono Trigger most obviously the three main characters from Chrono Trigger do pop up in their kid forms and Luca is referenced a fair few times and there's a fair bit of like cross-dimensional traveling and things like that um but really it's just on the surface it's like the nice idyllic holiday location but underneath everything else i don't think i've done a particularly good job of describing it but underneath um there are some sinister going on in a chrono cross and it's an extremely rich deep world that sony like enhanced by it's an audio visual delight basically and yeah something you have to experience by playing it which is difficult because Chrono Cross is a little bit inaccessible I think it takes mm. a while to get going but once you do get going you are rewarded with this absolutely amazing world that starts to fit together and layer together as you find out more about all of the time traveling chaos that Chrono Trigger included I mean Chrono Trigger's world is amazing as well because you go from 12 million BC all the way to 2300 AD and you see the same world much in the same way as you see Final Fantasy VI like evolve from Mm -hmm. prehistoric and then to ruins so like you can compare how the continents have shifted in particular Zeal is my favorite because that's just you know floating islands and floating castles and things like that um there's a similar theme between all of my picks but I love (laughs) Zeal's kind of futuristic technologically advanced magically advanced nation that eventually causes the downfall of the world and then it goes back to being your kind of medieval like traditional fantasy world kind of thing and the way that it ups and downs and its evolution is cool but Chrono Cross is a really cool offshoot of that and I like the way that they kind of reference it to and from you should go to Chrome El Nido on holiday but you should not get involved in any of the world <laughs> at all because there is too much going on in that world but yeah there's some really interesting tidbits and it's my favorite world uh it's my one of my favorite worlds to explore um I love it it's appropriate that we're talking about Chrono Trigger in the summer because that starting area of Arnie and the uh, area around it is just so tropical and pretty. It's a very summery game. Yeah, it uh, is. At least in the, for the first several hours. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I think Alana's really onto something there because I, I really vividly remember that contrast of everything up until the Dead Sea mm-hmm. being just extremely lush, extremely vibrant, wonderful music, getting like immersed kind of peaceful summery vibes and then just all the eerie silence in in the dead sea it's just it really does hit you and it is kind of like you have to see it and hear it to kind of get the full effect Mm, it's very cool yeah Yeah. all right so our last stop is leona's secret pick which is the world of etrian odyssey Mm. oh okay yeah so I picked this one because, as I said, this is going to be... I'm a JRPG protagonist now. I can I can kill 20-foot-high monsters, no problem. And this is the world to be. This is a world completely full of adventure. It's mostly undiscovered. It's completely new in a lot of ways due to how much it's covered by these monsters, these giant monsters, and also... They're just opening up ways into traveling either deep down into caves and labyrinths or up into massive trees. So it's full of adventure. And if you're looking for that, that would be a great uh, game to be in. But also the cities and towns of Etrian Odyssey are very beautiful and friendly. They're very uh, lively 
uh, and also got like a thriving pub culture. So I'm. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> There's a bar and everyone. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you can also get rich. Do you see like a theme? <laughs> you can get very rich from hunting monsters and discovering new places, medicines. It's all very cool the way you can progress through these dungeons and you're helping your your hometown. You're you're bringing back your knowledge and the ways to help. It's really cool. Yeah, I, I didn't want to make this one too long, uh, but I think that'd be a great place for if you wanted pure adventure. Yeah, I think it really works out because if I'm remembering correctly, I'm not too, too familiar with it, but you do you do kind of have like a nice kind of homely, like cozy town as your home base. And it, you do have that feeling of like going out on various expeditions, yeah, accomplishing uh, things, and then going back and really like contributing and building up the home area. Yeah, basically you're, you're, you're such a good adventure every time that the, the city hires you to go deeper and deeper and discover <laughs> more and help the city in, in general. And I, I like that. <laughs> it gives you that feeling of, of like almost like like a, a, an NES Dragon Quest game where yeah. you go as far as you can and then you go back to town and heal up and you're that much stronger and you can go a little <laughs> farther next time mm-hmm. with only yeah. really one hub town and maybe several uh, expedition locations but but a pretty self-contained world in general and my I've, I've only played part of Etrian Odyssey five <laughs> and uh, and uh, and um, Untold one because I, I tried one of the DS games and hated it I don't even remember which one it was. Yeah, but, they're, they're pretty old now. Yeah, but the uh, uh, it was it was one of the first two. I forget which, but I, I I have Untold one and five, and I was really impressed with five. But I I forget why I stopped playing it. It was something else came up, I guess. But like that feeling of getting a little farther every time and get and getting a little stronger every time is very yeah. very present in those Etrian Odyssey games. Absolutely, it's like you you feel every level you're so much more stronger than the last level. You, feel, <laughs> you really feel it. But also, now that I'm thinking about it, it's not just like for adventures. If you were really into cartography, <laughs> if, you, oh, yes. it, if yep. you like going to places and mapping out every nook and cranny, this is a great game to play. That's true. They have drawable maps, don't they? You can kind of well, like make notes and annotate. Right. Yeah, on the bottom screen, you can use your stylus and you can draw like kind of like like the old school RPGs where you got your grid paper out, you got your pencil and <laughs> you'd go, okay, I move one step forward, draw a little line. It's just like that. Um, but also like if you were like into just like observing animals, like every enemy in Etrianology has their own habits and their own way of fighting and their own places to hang out. And it's, it's really cool. You could really study them. So flora and fauna. Are the main draws. <laughs> nice. So, in summary, um, we want some place where you can profit and see the reward from hard work, um, somewhere where you can incrementally get stronger and not have too many impediments, and maybe some floating islands and beautiful settings. Uh, <laughs> yep. good to me. That is a hundred percent Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> It really is, actually. Maybe, maybe now I can afford a slightly shinier, uh, um, like, banner behind my chocobo when I go running around. Yes. <laughs> and everyone will know how cool I am. <laughs> so I think that pretty much covers all the places that we were going to tour today. So, 
Just a quick announcement about what's coming up next for Retro. We are going to have a discussion of the Final Fantasy VII remake, followed by a two-part game journal on Shadow Hearts 1, which I'm excited for. I'm going to be on that one. And after that, it's going to be our 150th episode, which is going to be a mailbag. So please consider contributing. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Um, I, I think I, I think I'm gonna add a message to the beginning of this episode. So, read, listeners, you've probably already heard this, but uh, please send emails to retro at rpgfan.com, and whether it's a discussion topic or a question about the podcast or a future game you want us to cover, especially that last one, please send us emails retro at rpgfan.com. Sorry. To yes. No, that's fine. Yes, please send emails. We love your feedback in general as well. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us or talk a little bit more about RPG worlds, um, please consider going to RPG fans forums, Twitter, Facebook, Discord, Instagram, um, and also consider listening to Random Encounter. That's also a very fun podcast. It's a companion to this one. And also consider reviewing on iTunes, Google Play, or your other listening venues. And now just quickly, let's go through and say where you can find all of us. Um, I'm EP Fire on the boards and also on Discord. And how about you, Solosi? Right. I am Monsoon on the boards. I am Monsoon Mike on Discord and at the real Monsoon on Twitter most of the time. All right, great. And Alana. Um, I am Diving Falcons on the boards and on Discord. Uh, if you want me on Twitter, though, I am at Alana Hagues. Great. And Leona, who some of you might know as a moderator, where can we find you? You can usually find me on the Discord channel. My name is Starmongus, and my Twitter is also Starmongus. Great. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this tour. It was definitely a lot of fun for all of us. Um, And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks so much. I literally downloaded Stardew Valley to my Switch when... uh, Nice. I I think... I, I think around when Hillary was talking about uh, The Longest Journey. Sorry, Hillary. No, it's okay. <laughs> Welcome. That's what I that's what I was not expecting other people to know so well, and I didn't want it to be too long, so that's totally okay. I'll All consider right. that a sale on my part. Do I get commission? Uh <laughs> see I already had some credit, so it was only it was only like eleven dollars instead of fifteen. But I'll take sure. it. All right. <laughs> I'll take it. Are you not tell him money hungry I am? One percent of eleven dollars. That's <laughs> that that's very that's very Scottish of you, Scrooge McGill. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank thank you all so much for contributing. I hope you had fun. I had great fun. Great. Oh, is the episode over? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I would say so. My bad. Bye everybody. <laughs>